of Genesis. Back in the book of Genesis. We are going to look at Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15 today. Now, again, as I said, I'm not going to uh, take the time to go really in depth about um, everything in every chapter. Uh, this is probably our third time in 12 years uh, returning to the book of Genesis, right? Um, the first time. We uh, looked at sections of the book of Genesis during our relationship series, right? And so we looked at Genesis from the standpoint um, of the, the relationships of, of husbands and wives and parents to children and, and um, you know, favoritism and all of those things, right? Uh, then we uh, spent some time uh, looking in depth from uh, Genesis chapter 1 through 25, all right? Um, we went through each chapter to look at each one of those, those uh, chapters um, in a little bit more depth. Uh, this time around, uh, um, I want to more so highlight um, what we call biblical theological themes, okay? So I wanna want to be able to look at the book of Genesis in light of all of Scripture, okay? Um, what is the book of Genesis trying to teach us about what we call salvation history? What is God doing in the world? Okay. And so I want us to look here because sometimes we think that uh, the point of the stories in the Old Testament is to teach us some kind of moral truth. Okay. So it's trying to teach us how to like, follow the example of the person in the story or maybe even how to not follow the example of the person in the story, dep depending on, you know, who the story is, is about, right? So when we look at the story of Abraham and we think that uh, the point of these stories is to teach us how to have faith in God just like Abraham. Okay. Uh, we may look at, like, say, the story of Saul, and we may think that the point of the story is to teach us how not to be a leader, <laughs> okay? Um, however... What I want us to understand and see here when we look at the text of Scripture is the same thing that Jesus said. He says that all of Scripture points to him. Right. So in, in, in some sense, we should be able to look at all of Scripture, even the Old Testament Scriptures, and see how these stories, these narratives relate to Jesus, right? Because Jesus is the key and the center of all of the Bible. It is all about him. Well, as Paul said, it was the, the entire world was made by him and for him. Okay. So, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. I'll read it, I'll pray, and then we'll jump into the text. It reads, Now the Lord has said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, 
to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Father, we thank you today for allowing us this opportunity to be able to look into your word. I pray that you would open our eyes uh, the same way you had to do on the road to Emmaus with the disciples. Help us to see how all of Scripture is pointing to you. All of Scripture is teaching us about you. It is not about the figures in the story, and it is not about us. It is all about you. And I pray, Lord, that as you open our eyes to see these things, that we would love you for all that you have been doing throughout history to reveal yourself to us. We thank you now for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, really quickly, I want us to review chapters 1 through 11 up to this point. We see in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 that God creates a world in which he can have a relationship with mankind. He creates a, a, a perfect world, and within that perfect world, he creates a garden, a place where mankind can have fellowship and relationship with himself. And as long as mankind is obedient and respects the limitations that God has placed on them as creatures, they will experience eternal life in this garden with him. We know from chapter 3 that Satan appears and he tempts Adam and Eve to let go of the limitations of being the creature and to become their own gods. He tells them that God is holding back on them and all they have to do is just reach a little further, right? And they can decide for themselves what is right and wrong. So Adam and Eve choose to rebel against God, and because they rebel against God, right, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, they become alienated from the life of God, and they lose this eternal life that they could have had. Now, God, instead of killing them on the spot, God exercises grace and mercy on them. He exercises this grace and mercy by killing an animal in their place and covering Adam and Eve with the skins of the animal. And we know that this foreshadows the work of Christ on the cross, right? Jesus becomes our substitute. He is slain in our place, and we are clothed in his righteousness. And this is the promise of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 the first example of the gospel in scripture. Now, from chapters 4 through 11, we see uh, God is, is tracing right, his line of those who will follow and trust him. Okay. You have a, a godly line and an ungodly line. And, and, and God is working his way through all of mankind in order to create a people for himself. God's program changes, however, when he gets to chapter 12. <coughs> God changes his program. He is no longer dealing with mankind as a whole, 
he now selects for himself an individual and he is going to work through this individual so that his descendants will be used to bring salvation to the rest of the world. We see this in what God has said to um, to Abraham, says in verse three, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, we address this in Bible study. I'm not going to take time to uh, to go through this. But of course, this Abrahamic covenant uh, uh, has three sub covenants that uh, really expand upon what each part of the covenant is is about. Okay. So we know uh, in Deuteronomy, we see the Palestinian covenant where God grants Israel right to the land of Palestine. Okay, And as long as they are obedient, they will experience blessing in the land. But if they are disobedient, they will be kicked out of the land. We know in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, we see the Davidic covenant where God makes a covenant with David. And he promises that he will have a descendant to sit on his throne forever. However, because of the disobedience of the nation and also of the, the Davidic kings, right, God punishes them and they are no, not only kicked out of the land, but even to this day, there is no king sitting on the throne of Israel. The last covenant we find in Jeremiah chapter 31, starting at verse 31. Now, when we see the word blessing in Genesis chapter 12, we all start thinking about material blessings. Okay, We know that Abraham was a wealthy man, and, and so somehow we connect the blessing in this passage to material wealth. However, that is not what the blessing is. When we look at the new covenant uh, in Jeremiah chapter 31, the blessing is salvation based on the forgiveness of sin. So through Abraham and his descendants, God is going to bless the world. He is going to bring about salvation for all mankind in the person of Jesus Christ. The next thing I want us to see in this text of scripture is that Abraham's selection is totally by grace. Again, we're trying to see the themes of scripture, not necessarily look at every single pass um, part of the of the text for the story, but I'm trying to show you the themes that play out in this passage so that we can see that God is doing one thing throughout all of history, and that is to bring about salvation in and through his son. So again, oftentimes we think of Abraham as some righteous person that deserved what God did for him. But again, Abraham's salvation, God picking him, was totally by grace. Number one, Abraham was a pagan from Mesopotamia. He did not believe in God. He was an idol worshiper, we know from the book of Joshua. He was not righteous, and Abraham was not a great man of faith. (laughs) He had no Uh, Nothing within himself that caused God to pick him. God could have picked anyone and brought about what he wanted to bring about. Because the story is not about Abraham's faith. It is about God's faithfulness. 
what we need to see in this story is that God is the hero, not Abraham. God picked Abraham by grace, saved Abraham by grace, and shaped Abraham's faith by bringing him into a relationship with himself. The story is all about grace. We get it wrong when we as preachers teach people that Abraham is a man of faith and he is someone that we should emulate. Now, not taking away anything from the book of Hebrews, <laughs> okay, where it talks about Abraham being a man of faith. But that is looking back on Abraham's life. If we are to look at Genesis itself, we will see in Genesis chapter 11 that God told Abraham to leave his family and his country. But immediately Abraham is disobedient. When he leaves Ur, he leaves with his father's entire household, including Lot. And his father gets sick on the way. They stop in Haran, okay, and his father eventually dies. And Abraham stays in Haran. So God has to appear to him and says, Abraham, get up and go to the land that I show you, chapter 12. We will also see in Genesis chapter 12, at the end of Genesis chapter 12, that God told Abraham to go to the land of Canaan. However, because of a famine, Abraham leaves Canaan and goes to Egypt. And in Egypt, he lies and says that his wife is his sister in order to save his life. And he allows her to be a part of the Pharaoh's harem to save his own life. That's not a man of faith that you want to follow. <laughs> okay. You will see in Genesis chapter 16 that God had made a promise to Abraham that he would have numerous descendants. But God was taking too long for Abraham, so he decided to help God out, and therefore he fathered Ishmael. You will see in Genesis chapter 20 that Abraham goes to Gerar and does the exact same thing he did in Egypt. He lied and said Sarah is his sister, she gets taken into the king's harem, and then God again has to intervene to get her out. Now, I don't know why we preach that Abraham is such a good example to follow. Because <laughs> it seems that every single chapter, Abraham is doing something that is faithless. But the point is not about Abraham's faith. The story is about how God, in spite of Abraham's lack of faith and his disobedience, God remained faithful because of his grace, and he is shaping Abraham to become faithful so that after at least, at least 25 years of God working in his life, by the time he gets to Genesis chapter 22, he is now a man of faith. So what I'm trying to get us to see in working our way through these themes is that 
God is the focus of all of these passages of Scripture. God's grace and his faithfulness to his people and how over time he creates and develops a faithful people for himself. Now, what's the application on this? The application is very simple because we oftentimes beat ourselves up because we fall short, we fail, we make mistakes. And and that's because we think the story is about us. (laughs) But God is writing his own story with your life. God is working in your life before the time of your salvation until the time he calls you home to cause you to become faithful and committed to him as he is faithful and committed to you. And at the end of your life, you'll be able to look back and see how God has brought you along even in your sin, even in your faithlessness, even when you are in rebellion to him, And how God has worked in your life through his grace, mercy, and faithfulness to cause you to be someone that other people can, at the end of your life, follow as a person of faith. We see in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3, the promises that God makes to Abraham. Number one. He promises Abraham land. Number two, he promises that Abraham will become a great nation. Number three, he promises Abraham a blessing. Number four, he promises Abraham a great name. Excuse me. Number five, he promises that he will bless or curse those who bless or curse Abraham. And number six, he promises to bless the world through Abraham. And notice again that all of these things are by God's grace. Abraham did nothing to earn any of these things. We need to recognize not only is this passage about God's grace, this passage is also about salvation by faith. Notice that Abraham is not saved by his works. He is saved by his faith. There is one method of salvation in all of Scripture, and that is salvation by grace through faith, the same thing we see in Ephesians chapter 2. I want want you to skip over to Genesis chapter 12. I know I'm rushing through this, but I promised you that I'm going to have you all at 12 o'clock, and, you know, I got to... I got to work on my faithfulness. (laughs) All right. Look at Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. Again, I want us to see that Abraham's salvation is by faith. He does not, in chapter 12, 13, 14, or 15, perform any good works that brings him to salvation. This is all initiated by God. Chapter 15, verse 1, reads, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. 
But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. I want you to skip down to verse 12. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great um, darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they shall come out out with great possessions. Now as for you... You shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass, when the sun went down and it was dark, that, behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I will give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. The Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Excuse me. And uh, as one of my friends was preaching this a passage, he added, and the Micahites. All right, so all, all, of, these, all of these ites, okay? <laughs> okay. So, so th- his point is, you're getting the land. Everybody who lives on the land, you're getting the land, okay? <laughs> Now, what God is doing here in Genesis chapter 15, first you see God appears to Abraham and he tells Abraham that he himself is Abraham's reward. He's going to bring to pass all that God promised. And Abraham says to God, in essence, what good is all of these blessings if I have no descendants, no heirs to pass it on to? And so God says that you're going to have descendants. And Abraham says, okay, well, again, maybe a servant born in my household can be my heir. God says, no, you're going to have a descendant from your own body. And God takes Abraham outside. He tells him to look up at the stars and he tells him to count the stars because that is how numerous his descendants will be. Verse 6, a passage that is repeated throughout on the New Testament, and Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, notice this passage says absolutely nothing about Abraham doing any works in order to obtain this righteous standing before God. God makes a promise to Abraham And Abraham believes that God is able to fulfill this promise. And because of his faith, Abraham is justified. He's declared righteous in God's sight. He is saved because of his faith. Everyone see that? 
Abraham's relationship with God and the fulfillment of the covenant depends solely on God. In spite of Abraham's faithlessness, God remained faithful. Now, when we look at the end of this chapter, we see that God himself takes the responsibility to bring about this covenant. Abraham falls into a deep sleep and God institutes this covenant with Abraham. Abraham has, has cut these animals in pieces and he separates the pieces and God puts Abraham to sleep. And God himself walks through the pieces of the covenant, right? So symbolizing at that time period that whoever breaks this covenant, the same thing that happened to these animals will happen to the one who breaks the covenant. But Abraham is asleep. Abraham isn't a party to the, co to the covenant. God is the only one who walks through the pieces of the, of the animals, symbolizing that the fulfillment of the covenant depends solely on God. He takes responsibility for bringing about the, the fulfillment of the covenant, and he takes the consequences of breaking the covenant on himself. In closing, what I want us to see that the story of Abraham is the outline of the gospel. The story of Abraham is the outline of the gospel. God picks sinners who do not deserve it and calls them into relationship with himself. He asks them to leave the world, just like he told Abraham, leave your father's house. He asks these sinners to leave the world, and in return, he promises them land, which is heaven. He promises them to be a part of a great nation, which is the people of God. He promises them a great name, sons and daughters of the king. And he promises them a blessing, which is eternal life in his kingdom. He does this all by taking the responsibility and consequences for breaking the covenant upon himself the same way Jesus is the one who died under the curse of the law so that we can experience eternal life. And lastly, even when his people are faithless and, and rebellious, he remains faithful and works to shape them into faithful people to himself. This is the gospel. God has been doing one thing in all of history, as we see in all of scripture. God has been working to bring people who are sinners in rebellion to him into a relationship with himself, and through that relationship, he is shaping and molding them lives, their lives, so that their character can match his character. But no matter how much his people fail, no matter how much his people sin, no matter how much his people remain in rebellion to him, God 
will be faithful to his people. And he is going to keep working in the lives of his people by his spirit to make his people look like him. Now, of course, for all of us, that means that, you know, he's got a lot of work to do until we get to heaven. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I, I'm reflecting on, you know, you know, well, let me see. I'm like, when did I get serious about the Lord? Okay. <laughs> so basically, I'm, I'm reflecting on like, you know, the last, what's 40 minus 12? 28? Okay. I'm reflecting on the last 28 years since, you know, I got, ser- when I seriously started studying scripture at, t- at 12 and, 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 and trying to be serious about the Lord, I look back on the last 20 years and I'm like, Lord, can I just get 40 more years to fix all of the stuff that I messed up in the last 40 years? Now, I'm dead serious. I pray that. I'm like, Lord, if I could live just to 80. I prayed this yesterday, actually. If I, if I could live just to 80, I might be able to fix all of the mess I messed up in the last 40 years. And then it dawns on me that if I live to 80, I'm going to have to live to 120 to fix all of the stuff I messed up in those 40 years. <laughs> but the point is it's not about me having to fix anything (laughs) because the gospel says even when I'm faithless to quote Paul he remains faithful and he who began a good work in you is going to keep on working until the day of Jesus Christ, the day that he comes back for us. What I want us to see as we work our way through the the book of Genesis here are these uh, biblical theological themes. I want us to see how God is working in the lives of the individuals in the book of Genesis in order to reveal himself, to reveal Jesus Christ, to reveal salvation, because all of these scriptures are pointing towards what Jesus will do for us on the cross. We saw that in Genesis chapter 3, right, where where God slays an animal and then puts the clothes on Adam and Eve, the same thing that, that Jesus does for us on the cross in the New Testament. He's slain for our sins, and we're clothed in his righteousness. We see see the same thing in Genesis chapter 22 where on the same mountain where Jesus is crucified (laughs) right 2,000 years earlier Abraham stands with his son about to kill his son his only son and God says Abraham don't kill your son there's an animal waiting for you to kill in his place on the same mountain And we see these things over and over and over throughout Scripture that all God is doing in the life of his people is pointing forward to the day when Jesus Christ will come and secure our salvation. And that is how we are to read Scripture. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for for your word. We thank you that you have placed so many practical applicational things in your word, things that apply, that teach us about 
how to be good husbands or wives, how to uh, have, uh, have good relationships with, with people. You have put all of these things in your word. But that's not the point of your word. The point of your word is to teach us how to look to Jesus for all of these things. The truth is, with all the teaching of Scripture on how to be a good father, all of us will at some point fail our children. No matter what your word says about how to be a good mother, we will at some point all fail our children. No matter what it says about being a good husband or wife, we will all fail our spouses at some point. And there is much in Scripture for us to beat ourselves up over because we will never live up to the standards that we see in Scripture. But that's not the point. The point is, because of your death, burial, and resurrection, even when we fail, as Paul says in Hebrews, we can come to the throne of grace for grace and help in our time of need. The point of Scripture is to look to Jesus Christ so that even in our failure, we recognize that we have a loving God, a loving Savior that loves us and will accept us no matter what. And you are taking upon yourself the responsibility to shape us into the women and men that you designed us to be. And you have promised because of the work of your son that the work will be complete. We will, as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, we will stand before you one day holy and blameless, even though we don't deserve it. And so we look forward to the day when we will be able to praise you for your great grace and your great mercy and your great faithfulness. I pray, God, that you will continue to work in and through us, shaping us and molding us to look more and more like your son. So that when people see the good works that we perform, even though our good works are tainted by sin, they will be able to give glory to God. We thank you for your work throughout history to save a people for yourself. And we thank you that you picked us to be a part of your people, even though we don't deserve it. We celebrate your great grace. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 All right. Don't forget to keep reading through the book of Genesis, all right? Thank you. <laughs> uh, don't forget to keep reading through the, um, the book of Genesis, all right? Um, uh, we're reading through Genesis five times, okay, five times. Um, I know some people have already finished reading the book of Genesis, uh, so you can start reading 1 Corinthians, all right, 1 Corinthians. Uh, you can uh, read through that. Um, it's only 16 chapters, okay, so a lot less than the book of Genesis, um, so, uh, you can, can read through that. I think this morning I finished my eighth time. I got to keep putting my little check marks in my Bible so I can remember what number I'm on. <laughs> but, um, 
Um, it's an easy read. Um, literally, um, if you have U version, okay. Literally, if you listen to um, uh, to the whole book of First Corinthians uh, on like U version or, or through some Bible app, literally, it's only fifty nine minutes. I counted it, fifty nine minutes to listen to all sixteen chapters. Okay, um, so literally, you can do your whole five times through First Corinthians in five hours. Five hours. Okay, so um. You can start working on uh, working on First Corinthians if you finish your five times through Genesis. Amen. All right. Um, let us prepare ourselves to worship and giving. We all 